Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Good morning. Uh, My name is Nick. I am the student pastor here, and I am very glad to be speaking with you guys. You know, I get to do this probably six or seven times a year, and I've never actually preached on Halloween. It feels creepy. Like when Charlie asked me to do this a couple months ago, I asked him, so am I teaching on ghosts? And he's like, just include goblins and ghouls as well. So uh, I'm going to be speaking to you today for about 30 minutes on ghosts. I'm just kidding. That would be an incredible waste of time. Um, I, uh, I love Halloween. Halloween is ridiculous. It's probably, I asked my kids the other day, is Halloween your favorite holiday? They said, no, it's Christmas. And I was like, what if you got presents? And they were like, oh, I don't know. Because most holidays end up being a candy-centered holiday. Halloween, Christmas, there's candy usually. Easter, of course, there's candy. I don't know how candy edged itself into all of our holidays, but Halloween is really a celebration of candy. Um, I uh, remember when I was a kid, I think my favorite costume I ever made, because I usually made my own, was the Ultimate Warrior. Wrestling, right, guys? 90s? Nobody? Um, He wore like multicolored tassels and weird face paints and it was like really involved. And I had to put fake muscles in, which were just like little pillows that made me look really buff. It was the best. I uh, defy anyone to to beat it. It was a good one. My kids are weird about their costumes. Like my son, Cash, I think he's gone through or will by today, gone through four different costumes for various events. Um, last night he was supposed to be the Black Panther guy, but when he showed up, he was a soccer player. I don't know how that changed. I guess he just decided something different. And I think he's going to be a policeman later tonight. He's got lots of costumes on deck, ready to go. He's very into it. So Halloween is weird. Um, I remember, and this is going to lead into an actual point, I promise. Uh, when I was in high school, One Halloween, we decided it would be fun to throw eggs at people. Uh, We traveled around in my parents' Ford Aerostar minivan with the side door open as people were trick-or-treating, and we just tossed eggs at them. This leads me into my first point. I'm not a very kind person. I've had to come to grips with this over the years, that it's just not something that's naturally a gifting of mine. Um, I have several examples of which I will pare down to a respectable few. Um, I remember one of my favorite slash lowest points in my childhood. I was uh, in high school, I was in middle school, I think, and my sisters were my favorite people on the planet to torture. Um, They were such easy targets because they were so trusting and good and loving, and so I took advantage of that. And I remember one day, I had this brilliant plan. I was going to lock my sisters out of the house while they were taking a shower. Now, let me explain. Um, So we had a house with like a front porch area and like several doors. So I made sure to lock all the doors in the bathroom where my oldest, my middle sister was, was there. She, there was a window that you could just open. So I decided I was going to make sure that the fire alarm went off 
So I took like a lighter and I held it up to the fire alarm until it went off and then it did. So I ran into the bathroom where my sister was and I opened the window and I said, get out, get out, get out, get out. And she heard the fire alarm and she jumped out of the shower, grabbed a towel, ran outside. I latched the window behind her and I went and watched TV for an hour or so. And the best part about it is that the, you know, the glass doors, so I can see her and hear her banging on the doors, begging me to let her in. And I didn't. And it was evil, but awesome at the same time. Uh, again, an example of how unkind I truly am. Here's another one. Uh, when I was in college, it didn't get any better. It got worse because I was more creative and I was learning things. So I was getting smarter at it. Um, there was a one thing that I started, I don't think they still do it, but it went on for a few years after I started. It was a great tradition of terrorizing the security guards on their golf carts. So in the evening, there were four or five security guards that would just drive around campus and make sure nobody was doing something terrible like walking around after midnight. And we got ourselves some fireworks and some you know, very dark clothing. And we snuck out and we would follow the security guards and just toss fireworks near them and around them, like the ones that are really loud but not dangerous. And we did this from like 10 in the evening to about two in the morning. And we would dump, hide in bushes and throw them and hide from them and run from them because they're on golf carts, they're not that fast. And we did this every year while I was there and it was glorious. Because here's the other problem. I don't always feel bad about the dumb, unkind things that I do. Maybe that's part of the problem. I have very little guilt when it comes to silly things like that that are generally unkind. You know, there was another group of kids that would bring hot chocolate to them at night during the wintertime when it was slightly cold. I threw fireworks at them. That's just how I was. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very kind. And maybe this is a stupid thing to confess in front of everybody standing on a stage in a church with a microphone, but... I don't know, I, gotta just, I just got to tell you. And the, th the weird thing is, is, I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life, and you'd think that that would have had some sort of effect on me. You'd think that the very fact that the Holy Spirit lives within me would fix this. I'd be kinder. I'd be one of the ones that brings the hot chocolate to the security guards rather than terror and fireworks. I would not lock my sisters out of the house with only a towel on which I did a number of times, but I don't. Even now, I, I still have these issues. I hide my parents' phones when I go to their house. I just do, I don't know why. I see their phone sitting around, I put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the flower bag and just leave it. I don't know why I do these things. They're, they're inherently awesome and I'm proud of them when I do them. My favorite thing is after I leave my parents' house, like two hours later, I get a phone call and it's just, you're such a jerk. And I know exactly what it's about. And I love it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm deeply flawed. I'm deeply flawed. So I'm looking at this scripture that has a list of things that we should be. And I have a hard time checking off any of them to say, yeah, I got this one down. So a question that I'm going to be thinking about, and I have been thinking about as I looked at this passage is, why aren't I more like Jesus? The Holy Spirit's within me. I've, I've read the Bible through a number of times. I've taught on it. I've studied it. I've worked through it. I love it. I love God. I love the saving work of Christ, but I'm not where I want to be. Why aren't I more like Jesus? 
Let me read this passage to you that we're looking at. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It'd be good if you had a Bible to go there. It's a good idea. Um, so let me read this to you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the first two verses of this are Paul asking Titus to remind his church to be some things, to do some things, reminding his congregation to be all of these things he just mentioned, which we'll go over more in just a second. And in verse three, he's basically saying, isn't that way better than what we used to be before we knew Jesus? And in four through six, we can be better because of the mercy of Jesus and the renewal of our lives, not by anything that we have, can claim to have accomplished. And because of all that, we are now heirs to the eternal life Jesus promised us. I wanna take a closer look at these things that Paul is reminding us to be, verses one through two. Submissive to authority a good one. Obedient, ready for every good work. Speak no evil. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show courtesy, or another word that is the same as that in, this, in the text, or humility to everyone. That's quite a list. I, I don't want any hands raised because that would be embarrassing, but how many of us can say that we embody all of these virtues? How many of us can say, I've got that down? What's next? Give me, the, give me the next list. I, I know that I cannot. I know for sure that I cannot. And you know, I used to think, I used to think that these traits were inborn in everyone who has accepted Christ. And that that led to a lot, that, that idea led to a lot of doubt in my heart as to whether or not I was ever actually truly saved because I couldn't say that I was these things all the time. And so growing up, I, was, I, was a, I was struggled with the idea of am I Save them, I not because I'm not these things and I try to be, but I fail. And then so that maybe the, maybe the Holy Spirit's not in me. Maybe, maybe this is not real. That led to a lot of doubt in my heart. The truth is, of course, this is not how it works. No, not when, when we accept Christ, we do not become perfect. We do not become like him immediately. It's a, it's a lifelong process. It's one that we struggle with every single day where there are successes and failures in every day. We don't become like this automatically because we believe in Jesus. We become like this over time as we seek these virtues through the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we grow in these virtues as we grow in our love and closeness to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Because if these qualities were to grow naturally within us, then Paul wouldn't waste his time reminding us to be like this just in the same way he doesn't remind us to eat and to breathe and to drink. 
These are things that we strive for through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul, over and over again, in most of the text that he writes, he reminds us in some way of these various traits. In Romans 12 and 13 and 14, he goes on and on. Here are just some highlights of the things that he tells us to do. Some of them are very similar, like show genuine love, outdo one another in showing honor, help each other out, bless rather than curse those who come after you, leave vengeance to God, feed your enemy, and another one, be subject to governing authorities because God gave them that authority. Governing authorities is a, is a sticky it's a sticky one. And even so in the scripture, um, you'll see, we'll talk about this in a second in Acts 5, 29, Peter actually says something very different. He says, we must obey God rather than men. Well, we'll get to that. First, I want to talk about my good friend, David. David is an interesting character to study in the scripture, full of successes and failures. One of my favorite stories is David is being pursued by Saul. Saul is the king of Israel appointed to them by God. He is the anointed king of Israel and he hates David. David is all the things that he wishes he could be. David is close to God. David is a beautiful musician and a great singer. He's best friends with Saul's son. Saul doesn't have that great a relationship with his son. He wants all to be like David, but he can't. So his reaction is to try and kill him. And so David is being pursued by Saul and David refuses to fight against him. So he runs and he hides. And there's one day David is, and his men are hiding in a cave because they know Saul's men are close. And Saul has no idea where they are. And so he goes into the cave to, and I quote scripture, relieve himself. Okay. And David is in there and his men are whispering to him saying, David, this is your moment. This is your chance. You can eliminate this problem. You can kill Saul right now and nobody will fault you for it. He's pursuing you. He's trying to kill you. You can eliminate him and become king and all this will stop. Practically, great idea. Very, very good call. That is a good idea. David should do that because then it will end a war. One life to save many, that's a great idea. This guy is a terrible king. He's messing up. He's causing all kinds of problems. Just end it. But see, David had a different ethic than I do. David knew that Saul was the appointed king. He was his governing authority. And so rather than make the practical decision and just break that rule, end this man's life, finish this whole nasty business and become a good, loving king, he knew that that's just not how God wants him to be. And what he said he said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. To David, he could not violate the idea of submitting to the governing authorities because it's not his call. David understood that God places us in charge. God gives men authority and it is not our responsibility to defy it or take it away. David understood this and he didn't do it. And you might think that Saul would for, you know, be happy. Like, wow, David didn't kill me. That was so kind of him, but he doesn't. He keeps pursuing and eventually Saul does die and David becomes king. And David, 
continue to do the honorable thing where no, most of the time when a, a new person becomes king, a new family becomes king, they eliminate all the remnants of that old family. You know, they, they get rid of all the other sons or daughters or cousins and brothers so that those guys don't try to usurp the throne. But what David did was the opposite. And in, in his continued desire to honor God's anointed, he brought all the remnants of Saul's family into his home, had them eat at his table and did everything he could to make them feel honored. This, this, is, a, this is a sticky thing because sometimes we don't like our governing authorities. Sometimes we feel like they are way out of line. And we might feel like it's our, it's our role to, to, to violate that authority, to break it, to, to fix it. And in, and in one case in Acts 5, 29, it's, it says, we must, Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. And that sounds like a contradiction to what he even said in, when we read our liturgy this morning where he says, honor the emperor. But here he says, obey God rather than men. This, this verse I've heard many times quoted very, very out of context to give validity to rebellious or otherwise ridiculous behavior. Because what's really happening here, of course, is that Peter has been preaching the gospel, preaching the name of Jesus in the temple and in, in cities where they did not want that. And so the governing authorities arrested him and they put him in prison. And an angel that evening comes and releases him from that prison, sends him back to the temple to preach. And then the next morning, he doesn't run, he doesn't hide, he stands boldly and continues to do what God called him to do, which just so happened to be against the rules at that time. And he does, in fact, submit. Non-submission would look like running away, hiding, fighting them as he's done before. We've seen Peter pull a sword out and cut the ear off of a man trying to arrest Jesus. This is a new and improved Peter who follows his governing authority of God the Father, knowing that he is doing what he is supposed to do. And so because he does not resist, because he doesn't run away, he is given the, the prize of being beaten publicly and sent away. They tried, to, they tried to have him executed that day, but someone stepped in and stopped it. And so Peter continued to live and he did not stop doing what he had to do. But he also continued to allow himself to receive the punishment for his behavior because he knew above all that God was in control, that God was his ultimate governing authority. The bottom line is we are called to be like Christ. And we see in scripture, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus submitting himself to these authorities. It's not a problem for him. People try to trap him and ask him questions like, should we pay taxes? And he's like, here, why don't I grab a fish and take some money out of it and pay Caesar with it? I don't care. He understands, as we should, that God is our ultimate authority. And when we follow those he appoints, we follow him. When we obey those that he appoints, we obey him. Because again, we're called to be like Christ. We are his body now. We are the church is now the body of Christ. So we must put all our efforts towards living and loving as he did. And before he left, you know, he said in John 15, this is my commandment 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I love that verse and it rings around in my mind a lot because it hearkens this idea of a hero. This is what heroes do. Heroes lay their lives down for their friends. And this is a, a, a theme that has dominated storytelling since storytelling began. Before Jesus uttered these words, people have been writing stories about men and women who heroically lay their lives down for others because we know it is inside us that this is the ultimate symbol of love, to lay myself down and say, my life is forfeit so that yours might go forward. I mean, if you've ever read or heard the story of like the Iliad and the Odyssey, one of the oldest stories ever told, Odysseus is this kind of hero. The hero in this story is one that laid his life down consistently, constantly putting himself in danger for the sake of others. You've heard the story of the Trojan horse, right? They build this horse to bring it into the thing that makes it look like they've left, but in fact, there's soldiers in it. You know, this was his idea. And a lot of times when you come up with a ridiculously dangerous and scary idea like this, you say, all right, I'm going to step back and let others go in there. But no, he walked in there and he went through and he knew that this was possibly going to end to his death, but he didn't care because it was for others. He laid his life down for his friends and there's more. Now I have to warn you, I am an English major. I love teaching English. I love reading. So I've got a few examples. Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens, a wonderful, wonderful story about the French Revolution. In it, near the end, there's a character named Sidney Carlton. And he's been generally a scoundrel for most of the book. We don't really like him, but then something changes at the end where he realizes that he has an opportunity to save his friends, to save the people that he loves. One of his good friends has been arrested. His, that friend's daughter is in trouble. So he manages to rescue all of these people by putting himself in the place of the man to be executed. And as he's walking up to the guillotine, he says, this is a far, far better thing that I do now than I've ever done before. He laid his life down for his friends. And because I am me, and I'm sure many of you have wondered, how is he gonna stick Lord of the Rings into this sermon? I found it. Don't worry, I got it. If you've ever read this book or seen the movies, Lord of the Rings, it's a great, great, great story. And in it, there is, a, there is a tremendous hero, one that embodies all of these things that Christ was like. And it's not who many people think it is. It's not the, the Frodo, it's not, it's not Aragorn, it's not Gandalf, it's none of these guys. It's a little chubby boy named Sam. Sam is the ultimate hero of this story because he laid his life down constantly for his friends. He constantly put himself in danger, not for personal glory, not because he desperately wanted to get rid of this ring thing, but because he wanted to help his friends. And in the end of it, he, he lays down everything he has and puts himself, walks into a volcano, carrying his best friend so he can end this nonsense because this is what he cared about, laying his life down for his friends. This, this idea, this theme is woven into our lives from the very beginning that we would sacrifice ourselves. And not, I, don't, I don't just mean in death. I mean, laying down our, our preferences, our plans, our desires, the things that we think are super important to us. You know, when we read this list, be obedient, be ready for every good work, ultimately what this leads to is this concept of laying my desires down to lift up others. And this is how Christ lived. 
This is how Jesus spent his time on earth, giving himself away for others. You know, the world around us, though they may not admit it, is looking for this kind of hero, this selfless hero to follow. And it's not us. It's Jesus. He is the ultimate selfless hero that has existed since the very beginning. It is him that has woven this desire into our very nature that we would desire him, though we may not know it. The church is here so that we may can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that they might see him through our love for everyone, through our desire to be kind and obedient, through our selfless acts, they would see through us to Jesus because we are not the hero. And I remember many years ago, Delin said something. It was, we are not the main characters of our story. And this is so true in the scripture that we are not the main character. We are supporting players who lift up the hero who is Jesus. That through our actions, through our love, through our kindness, they might see the kind of savior that would give himself up for them. It's through things like humility, genuine love, selflessness, willingness to sacrifice for others, submission to authority and kindness to all, that as Jesus says in Matthew 5, that we would let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to God our Father who is in heaven. You see, guys, if, if people can't see the kindness of God through us, they can't see the God that saved us. So yeah, I'm deeply flawed. I'm screwed up. I don't always embody these things. And at a certain point in my life, I had to come to the realization that that's just, I don't want to say it's okay because it's not, but it's, I'm not required to be perfect immediately. And I am actively working, I promise. I hide my parents' phone much less than I used to. I haven't locked my sisters out of the house in years. I'm growing in this. We all need to be growing in this. We grow in this through our devotion to Christ, through our knowledge of him, not, not through constant you know, self-actualization and forcing ourselves to be these things and doing all that. That's not how this works, but rather that we seek Christ and we pray and we try and make better decisions through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The further we get from our, our devotion to Christ, the less we become like him. You know, Jesus is no longer walking the earth to speak and act for us himself. We are here. You know, and, and I've mentioned this a couple times with the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a great song that I've been listening to recently called No Body, where it says, Christ has no hands now but yours. Christ has no feet now but yours. Christ has no mouth now but yours. We are charged with serving and emulating the greatest hero this world has ever known to save the world from its greatest enemy. The stakes are very, very high, and the work is long and arduous. So as Paul did with Titus, let me remind you, because how so often we need to be reminded, let me remind you, be submissive to authority, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak no evil of others, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show humility to everyone, and through these, we can remind the world around us who Jesus is.
Through these, we can love the world as he loved us. Through these, we can lay our lives down for our friends. You know, the scripture in Titus says that you're washed clean. You're renewed by the Holy Spirit graciously given to us through Christ. Let's be reminded of that. You know, Paul is not giving this to Titus for the first time. He is reminding him. We need reminders. We need constant reminding. Because this is hard work. It's long and it's arduous and it's difficult. But the end of our road, we walk into a great undiscovered country to rest in the arms of a savior who loves us, that laid his life down for us, the hero of this world with whom we are co-heirs of eternal life. You know, usually when I preach, I, I get response. You know, people will say, hey, nice job, that was sweet. You know, every, every single time I've been up here, Sharon would send me a message, sometimes right in the middle of it. Um, so full of love and encouragement. And the best way that I can handle the fact that she's not sitting over there is knowing where she actually is. That she is resting in the arms of a Savior who laid his life down for her and that she followed diligently Led, an exa- led by example in many ways, embodied many of these traits, though she knew she was working on them. We can be these things. Be reminded that it is possible. Be reminded that it is difficult. Be reminded that in the end, there is a hope beyond any hope that exists here, that we are co-heirs of eternal life. And that is where our beloved Sharon is today. Let me pray. God, help us to be the body of your son, Christ, of your son, Jesus. Help us to be his hands and his feet, his mouth, his eyes. Help us to live in such a way that kindness pours from us, that those who are around us would see through us and see straight to you knowing that we support the greatest hero of all. Remind us as much as we can be reminded that you love us and that, you've, that you're here for us. And then when it feels like you've left, that you're still there. And when it feels like there's despair, that there's so much hope. God, remind us, remind us who you are that we might remember how to serve you. God, we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.